You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 869 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland coming to you on a Sunday afternoon, a non-traditional time slot for this podcast. If you are just joining us for the first time, welcome aboard. I am the managing editor of PeachtreeHoops.com, covering the Hawks, as well as covering the NBA and the NBA draft and college basketball at large over at Dime on Uproxx. And uh, today's podcast will be a sort of mini dive into the three editions, or we say two and a half editions at this point in time, that the Atlanta Hawks have made. Over the weekend, they uh, reportedly agreed to terms with Chris Dunn and Rajon Rondo. And then on Sunday, word broke that Bogdan Bogdanovich will be uh, at least in the crosshairs here when it, when, it, when it comes to the Atlanta Hawks with a signed offer sheet. The Kings can still match it. We'll talk about that as well and the fallout if that does not happen, et cetera, et cetera. But I want to sort of set the stage on today's podcast as well as the full integration of all these pieces. The Hawks are now very deep, which is a definitely different thing than they were last year. They were very shallow at times during the 2019-20 season. So a lot to get to on the podcast today. But first, I wanted to tell you about our sponsors on today's podcast. And the first one is Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and the new and improved Built Bar is even more delicious. I told you in the past how much I really love the original Built Bar flavors, but now they're up to 18 amazing flavors to choose from, including six new selections like caramel brownie, lemon almond cheesecake, and my personal favorite, cookies and cream. Each bar is covered with 100% chocolate, and importantly, they're all soft and easy to chew. From there, it's also important to note that Built Bar is fantastic for those of us trying to be health conscious. You can maintain or even lose weight while still enjoying a delicious treat. Bars are high protein, high fiber, low calorie, and low sugar, and Built Bar is even great if you're on the keto diet. Go to BuiltBar.com right now, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and when you do that, you get 20% off on your next order with Built Bar. One more time, that is BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON, for 20% off your next order. Check it out at BuiltBar.com. All right, we'll dive in now to the transactions over the weekend. And the first, in terms of chronological order, was the Hawks agreeing to a two-year, $10 million deal. At least that was the way it was reported with Chris Dunn with a second-year player option on that contract. However, most are assuming, and honestly, it almost has to be this way now, based on what happened after it, that it will be the room exception. And that will basically have him start at about $4.76 million for this season with a 5% raise on year two. That would take him up to about $9.77 million. So that runs up to 10, obviously. If it's that, and it almost has to be again, that does not affect the Hawks' cap space. So a room exception, just you're allowed to go over the cap. The last time the Hawks used this, by the way, was on Alex Len the first time around when they signed him. So keep that in mind as well, just for um, cap purposes. But on the court, Chris Dunn is definitely known for his defense. He is a tremendous, I would call him an elite defensive guard. I would argue he might be the best defensive guard in the entire NBA. Now, he's not his own tier up there, but he is tremendously good defensively, drew some legitimate all-defense consideration from all kinds of smart people. The problem with Dunn is that he was not in a more, it was, honestly, you kind of almost have to be in a pretty prominent role to win those kind of awards, and he really is a pure role player. He's not a star on offense by any means, but he's a legitimately awesome defensive player, which is the biggest appeal, and he's a guy I've been talking about for quite some time as a very, very logical Hawks investment because the Hawks have offensive talent, to be sure. Dunn fits in well alongside Trey Young as well, in a, at least when you're coming to uh, maybe having to try to defend opposing point guards that are awesome. If you get in a matchup where you're trying to face off against an elite guy, 
your options to defend that guy are Chris Dunn, of course, now, as well as Cam Reddish, maybe. But, um, you know, it's tough in some ways. So it, it helps to have a really, really good ace defensive guard on your roster right now. And Chris Dunn definitely provides that. Um, offensively, it's kind of a struggle. He's not a great offensive player by any means. Uh, Shooting-wise, it's not great. He uh, shot 26% from three this last year. He shot 35% from the previous year, which is definitely a little bit better. But make no mistake, he's not hes not a great shooter. I know, you know, Dunn was a former high lottery pick out of Providence. And uh, at one point, there was a belief that he could, be, he, become, he could become sort of an on-ball point guard. Um, and you'll definitely hear him described as a point guard because he is kind of point guard sized. But offensively, he's not really a point guard. Uh, defensively, certainly he can, he can guard one through three. The versatility there is huge, but he's not someone who you're going to just have run your offense. That's happened at times, but almost in Chicago last year, he was almost playing like, like a 2-3 role because of his defense, playing more off the ball. I think in Atlanta, um, there are constructions where playing him at the point maybe could have been palatable alongside like Kevin Herter and Cam Reddish uh, on the perimeter, but with the addition of Ray John Ronda that we'll get into later on on the podcast, Dunn seems to be more in that slotted role where he'll be playing off the ball on offense and on the ball on defense when he is playing. The investment is also modest enough where Dunn does not have to be a giant part of rotation. Uh, it's basically a one plus one here, and while that's real money at $5 million a year or so, that's not like break the bake money, so if there's a situation where you don't love the fit, you don't have to play him a ton of minutes, and I just like Dunn as a fit. Again, defensively, he is legitimately elite. Steal rate-wise, he led the NBA last year in steal rate. He just causes havoc on the perimeter. In fact, he got into a couple of on-court dust-ups with Trey Young in recent years, They but, but they exchanged pleasantries on Instagram after the signing became public. I said this before on Twitter, but there was no chance the Hawks were going to sign Dunn if Trey was actively against signing Dunn, in my opinion. So that's not really a concern to me at all. This stuff is just on the court for the most part. Um, two really competitive guys. No indication that that, that, that that went beyond that. So I know there were people asking me about that, like if it was going to be a problem. I would say almost certainly not. So don't worry about that whatsoever. Fit-wise, we'll get into it. But he was good at the rim this year. He shot 60% plus on shots at the rim. And he actually shot a career high 53.5% on two point attempts. So, you know, normally you want to take more threes in the modern NBA. Uh, Dunn shooting is a question. If he gets back to where he was two years ago, it's not quite as quite as bad defense, uh, offensively, I should say. But just simply put, he is a below average and really even worse than that offensive player at the moment. On the bright side, he makes up for that, I would say more so, because of his defense being so good. So most guys on the on the Hawks roster in recent years have been much better offensive players than defensive players. Dunn is the exact opposite of that. He will help to uh, sort of cover up for a lot of different things, give him some depth, can play a little bit on the ball if you really need him to, and a pinch um, behind Trey Young. So I like that signing. He was a guy that I had circled for a very, very long time, and I think this is a very, very nice move at a reasonable price because a lot of people were thinking he might even get more than this. Um, so getting him, uh, you're paying a little bit more, I guess, for the player option. There's a little bit of um, uncertainty there. And given where the Hawks are, though, that, that not that not that big of a deal. And honestly, because it was slotted in the room exception, that made it more palatable. So if that was the trade-off, if the options were give, give, give Chris Young, sorry, give Chris Dunn, a deal at like $7-8 million for one season or give him the player option because he can go in the room exception, that made it a lot more uh, palatable and that allowed the Hawks, by the way, to sign Gallinari, Rondo, and throw the offer sheet at Bogdanovich. So having that slot in there makes a ton of sense and Dunn provides quality depth. Um, Fit-wise, last thing here, he is not a dynamic on-ball player, so I think he fits very well with Trey. I think he fits very well with guys like Kevin Herter, very well with Bogdanovich, by the way, if he were to come. Um, I will say he does not fit well with Rajon Rondo whatsoever. So those guys do not play together, I would imagine. I would at least hope, because offensively that would not work in my view. But 
basically anybody else Dunn fits well with, so that's not a huge concern either. That both guys are going to be reserves for this Hawks team. Before we get into Rondo and Bogdanovich, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. The more high-profile move in the backcourt over the weekend, at least the one that is now uh, at least trained towards official, at least that was widely reported as being done, is Rajon Rondo. So, I will say this, broadly speaking, the Rondo news was met by a, a polarized reaction. Um, I said this a little bit on Twitter, but I'll say it again now. I think about 95% of what I heard um, from people on Twitter and on my phone and in DMs and other places was either really, really high on this signing or really, really low. And that's not a huge surprise, but it is kind of an outlier in that Rondo is very, very polarizing. In fact, I've asked, um, and I think I will get, I'm going to have this interview happening um, with someone who's covered Rondo the last couple of years, just to give him some more insight from up close and personal. I'm not covered Rondo day to day, so I don't, I'm not, I don't have that kind of insight on him. So we'll dive into that a little bit later on in terms of the uh, off-court stuff, especially the leadership stuff, et cetera, his defense. But for now, I will just kind of talk about Rondo as I know him at, right now. By the way, the deal is two years and $15 million is the reporting. That is more than I thought he was going to get, just for the record. Um, and there's this thing about playoff Rondo that I'll just start with here. So Rajon Rondo is not a great regular season player anymore. Um, that's worth saying and emphasizing and saying again. Um, so playoff Rondo is a thing that actually exists. He has been notably better in the playoffs, basically always, and especially the last few years that really shows up on defense, especially where his just efforts so much better in the playoffs. He was actually really good in the playoffs overall. I want to just say that out loud this year. He was really good in the playoffs and helping the Lakers win the title. He made more of his threes in his false size as well. But in the regular season, the last few years, he's been basically only slightly above replacement level. And that means like pretty bad, um, if that continues, he's not worth $7.5 million a year on the court. Now, we don't know that's going to happen, for sure, and the guy that was in the playoffs is worth that much money or more, actually. Last year, he was a pretty clear negative, according to all of the catch-all metrics, basically, in the regular season. He was a pretty bad player. That's been backed up by people that I've that, that saw every minute of him last year that I've asked. He was not good in the regular season. The Lakers were worse when he played on both ends of the floor, all that stuff. Um, the Hawks, though, are definitely betting on some bounce back, some investment level there with Rondo on the court closer to the playoffs. And they're also betting on some, at least some implied value with his leadership stuff, his veteran nature, his experience, his title winning approach, all that stuff. They're definitely betting on a little bit of that as well. But the on-court stuff does matter. So that's a, it's sort of a tricky formula to evaluate. Again, 215 is probably too much. If regular season Rondo shows up, but if playoff Rondo shows up, it's totally fine. And again, there's some implied value here with his experience on this team. And also he's replacing basically nothing at backup point guard, which is certainly worth noting. This is an area that I've talked about for a long, long, long time. Basically since Jeremy Lin left, the Hawks have had nothing at backup point guard. Um, I do like Brandon Goodwin, but he's not going to be your primary backup point guard probably. So there is value in that as well. This does plug that hole. They now have someone on this team that can run a pick and roll and run the second unit. And even if you don't love Rondo, he does provide that in a way the Hawks desperately needed. As well as the financial impact uh, is not as big as you might think, um, at least implied-wise, because of the fact the Hawks are operating the way that they are elsewhere. So... Salary cap-wise, by the way, um, the deal of $15 million could start anywhere between 7.3 and 7.7-ish. And in tandem with that, the Hawks still had cap space available, which allows them to do a lot of things. We'll talk about McDonough in a second. Um, but we'll talk, well, I guess we'll, talk, we'll dive into the player a little bit here. So uh, offensively, Rondo has a 48.7% true shooting the last four seasons combined. That is terrible. Um, now, Rondo, even at his best, even when he was an all-star, and by the way, he's a former all-star, 
um, was not an efficient scorer. That was not what he did. He was a passer. He was a lead, like a league-leading assist guy, um, rebounder at point guard, could score a little bit, but was never going to be a high-volume score, high-efficiency score. That's still the case now, even a little bit lower. He's still a great passer, um, does have um, sort of weaknesses elsewhere. His shooting's actually improved a little bit. Um, the volume's not very big, but he's a much better like standstill open shooter than he used to be. That definitely does help a little bit, especially if you're going to play him alongside a bunch of other guys who can shoot it. And Rondo's... But here's the, here's the thing about Rondo. Um, the last six seasons, this is something I'm, I'm stealing from Kevin Pelton of ESPN who analyzed this, but the last six seasons, Rondo's teams have been better with him off the floor offensively in five out of those six. So that's some of that's team team context dependent. Like being on the team with LeBron, that isn't a huge surprise. It's not a huge surprise in LA. That's why I went before that. Rondo's just kind of a polarizing. You kind of have to build around him a little bit offensively. He likes to dominate the ball, all that stuff. I think I'm not terribly concerned about his offense, especially if he's playing without Trey. Um, ideally, I would have liked to see the Hawks play, uh, sign someone who can play with Trey a little bit. I guess Rondo could if he's engaged defensively, but if he's not engaged defensively, that becomes uh, kind of a wreck on the defensive end of the floor. Offensively, if you wanted to get Trey off the ball some, Rondo would be a great a great player to do that with you. So, sort of, a, I can see all sides there, but um, he does he, is, he does have defined weaknesses and strengths. His passing is a strength, for sure. His rebounding is a strength, for sure. His shooting is not, but it's been better to be uh, to be uh, clear. But I don't know, sort of a, a, a nuanced, layered approach to his offense, and it, it all it all dates back to what you're actually going to be getting, which is really the big question with Rondo that I've gotten from people, and also that I've asked other people what, that, that have covered him recently. That people around the league, the number one question with the signing is which Rondo are you getting? I'm gonna say that one more time. The number one question with the signing is which Rondo are you getting, especially on the court. Off the court, he actually has gotten a lot better reviews than people might think. Um, I've pointed to the fact that in Dallas, it did not go well. In Sacramento, maybe not as, maybe not as well. But since then, um, I've heard, anyway, this is, a, this, is all, this is all secondhand, that he's matured. He's, by the way, beloved by players. Again, beloved by players. Um, that does matter. And I think that's part of the reason why the Hawks are doing this as well. He's got a good rep with young guys the last couple years, with the Lakers, with the Bulls. He seemingly did some good work with, with those young guys. So that, that definitely matters as well. It's sort of a culture thing that the Hawks are trying to do and adding him in the mix. So, um, But the question still, I would say, arrives on the court, if nothing else, is which run, which run are you actually getting? And that is uh, number one that they have to figure out <laughs> in the future. Um, defensively, Rondo is not very good. So this is something I have to say, and I said this on Twitter, but even when I said this, I got pushed back. It's just not up for debate. Rondo is not a good defensive player at this point. Um, in the playoffs, when he really, really gave all the effort, he ramped it up um, and was pretty effective at times in the playoffs. But in the regular season, he's really quite bad. Um, and that's not really up for debate. He was a bottom 10 player in the league last season defensively. According to 538's Raptor model, he was below average in basically all the catching of, of the catch-all metrics. Again, he was better in the playoffs. He has good length as well. His, his acumen defensively when he's dialed in is really good. So if he's engaged, it could be better. He's a good playmaker at times as well. But I don't think you can be planning on him being good on defense. Um, he'll flash when he's dialed in, to be sure. But just overall, the numbers do not tell a lie here. His, de- his defense has been pretty bad the last couple of years. So keep that in mind as well. Um, and again, it goes back to the question of what you're getting. But anyway, 
two years at 15 million is more than I thought he would get. It's more than I would have paid him. Um, people have been talking about how I've been more positive about the Hawks recently. I'm not sure if that's the case. I, I guess I guess maybe it is. Um, I'll say this is this is my least favorite of the signings. Um, that does not mean that I absolutely hate it though. Um, this is not a situation where I will come on the podcast and scream and yell about it like I did with Dwight Howard. There, there have been some moves where I just did not like it at all. Like Jamari Parker last year was baffled by that move. I still am at this point. Dwight, there, there's been a few. There's been a couple of trades that I've not liked. This is a move that is defensible. Um, I think it's probably a little bit more than I would have wanted to spend. He would not have been the guy that I targeted necessarily. But again, there is potential value, implied value with with his experience, his leadership, and the Hawks uh, got a little bit older, honestly, um, over the weekend um, or we still over the last few days. The Hawks were basically extremely young um, the last couple of years. And even going into the offseason, the oldest guy under contract was, was Clint Capella, who's not an old player at all. The Hawks have now signed... I believe they're four oldest players. Maybe they're three. Maybe three of their definitely the three oldest players with Rondo, Gallinari, and um, <laughs> and Bogdanovich. If that happens, um, but regardless, even Chris Dunn is more of a veteran, more of an older guy than some of these other players as well. So they've gotten a little bit more mature. Rondo clearly is a locker room leader um, investment, and then we'll see what, we'll see what he can do on the court. Again, though, it does matter that he's replacing nothing. So the bar is pretty low for his um, impact on the court and we'll uh, sort of sift through that. But that's, that's a good primer, I think, for what you're getting in Rondo. I think it could be certainly a positive move, especially if he has a good impact on the young guys and good, good impact on the leadership of the locker room. They lost a guy in Dwayne Debin that is a a trusted voice in the locker room as well. So that's uh, sort of, uh, you're sort of replacing that and Rondo, Rondo obviously has more even more respect around the league with what he's been able to do. So I can see all sides. I understand why the polarizing reaction happened because you're either all in or you're all out in a lot of ways with Rondo. I'm somewhere in the middle. I think that this is not a move that I love, but it's not one that I just cannot see any value in. So there you go. Hopefully that's a good primary. If you have questions, I'll probably answer them in the future. We have plenty of time to talk about this stuff, but that's where I land on Rondo. Now, finally, on Sunday afternoon, so why I'm doing this podcast a little bit earlier than I was going to, um, it was reported and widely reported and then confirmed even more that Bogdan Bogdanovich will be signing an offer sheet, actually already has signed an offer sheet with the Atlanta Hawks. Bogdanovich is the Sacramento Kings um, shooting guard, maybe slash small forward some. Um, Sam, Amica, Sam Amica of The Athletic reported on Sunday about the offer sheet being submitted and signed. Chris Kirshner of The Athletic reported first that I saw um, four years and $72 million is the um, price tag for Bogdanovich. And then later on, Mark Stein reported it's going to be a fourth-year player option with a 15% trade kicker for Bogdanovich. So basically, the reason for that is that the Hawks are trying to make this as difficult as possible for the Kings to match. Because if you're unfamiliar with this, if you, I, don't, I, I, I think some Hawks fans are familiar with this, Bogdanovich is a restricted free agent, so the Hawks cannot just sign him and get him automatically. Um, the Kings have a right to match this offer sheet, and because of that, there is some value, potentially, in the Hawks trying to make it difficult on the Kings. So giving him that track kicker, giving him that player option, makes the deal worse for Atlanta. So that's unfortunate, is that if the Hawks sign him to this deal, if the Kings do not match it, the Hawks are on the hook for a deal that's not as team-friendly as it previously would have been, potentially. But it does make it harder on the Kings, and the Hawks obviously want Bogdanovich. And for the record, if they don't get Bogdanovich here, if the Kings match, there's not a whole lot left on the market. Um, the Hawks are deep, and that makes it a little bit easier to swallow that. But there's not, a, there's really not really anybody that's a free agent still that's going to make a huge impact for the Hawks. So this is kind of their one swing for right now. I think they can obviously make trades, etc. But keep that in mind when you're sort of navigating all of this stuff as well. So we will talk more about cast base for next season later on. But barring something else that's unforeseen with Bogdanovich, Gallinari, Rondo, Dunn, etc., 
the Hawks would be out of cap space, basically, or at least close to it with Bogdanovich. That's kind of the team at that point in time. Not that they don't really need much else um, for, for, right, for right now, but if they get Bogdanovich, that's kind of the end of the offseason for the most part. They might have another minimum guy or two, but that'll be kind of it. So Bogdanovich is a player. We've talked about him a little bit in the past. Um, 6'6", 220. He's been a shooting guard for the most part. Has good size, though, for that position. Could flash some to the three as well. He's tur- he-, he actually just turned 28 in August. There is a thought out there that he's this young player, and he's really not a young player at this point in time. I get it because he's only been in the league for three years, and he's restricted, so people think that, he- that he's actually younger than he is. But for reference, he's actually almost two years older than Clint Capella, who you won't really hear the young player name attached to. So Bogdanovich is not like over-the-moon old, but this is a guy who, on a four-year deal, will be playing his fourth season at the age of 31 into 32. So he's not this incredibly young player that you're investing in for the future. This is a present-day push-in kind of signing because he's kind of in his prime right now. So, um, you know, 15 points last season, three and a half assists, three and a half rebounds. He's a good passer, not an elite passer, but has some on-ball equity. He actually has a good, a good assist rate, um, about 18, 19% last year, which is about the 75%, 75th percentile of the league. So an above average passer to be sure. A good shooter, not an elite one, 37.4% for his career from three, 37% last year on pretty good volume, 7.2 attempts per game. He's a career 55% true shooting guy, which is not elite, but pretty solid. Was better last year in that category. So Basically, he does a lot of things well, nothing terribly elite, but checks a lot of boxes for the Hawks, can handle the ball, can shoot it, etc. Defensively, he's not great, but not too bad. Uh, he grades out below average in a lot of the advanced defensive, defensive metrics, which you don't love, but that was in Sacramento, not the greatest situation in the world. He has a good steal rate. He's pretty active, in my experience. He's not amazing on the ball, but decent enough, and again, pretty decently big at 6'6 and, two, and 220. He'll compete. He's got a good motor. Not a huge concern for me defensively. I think you want, maybe want to avoid lineups that have Young, Herter, and, Bogdan- and Bogdanovich playing together on the perimeter. That, that may not be great, but I think he's pretty solid. He's not good defensively necessarily, but not a guy that you worry about a ton. So I would say he's definitively a good player. Um, I think he's like a top 100 guy in the league or so. Which may not sound like a lot, but when you th- when you factor in that you know there are thirty teams, that means you're a good player. Obviously, um, he becomes Atlanta's fifth best player right now. If if the Hawks get this to go through, um, I would have him behind Young, Collins, Gallinari, and Capella, um, but not by that much. He's he's definitely a more established piece. And again, I'm talking about right now, not for the future. Again, right now. Um, I think right now you have to assume he's better than than the young wings are. I know people might are very excited about some of the young wings, and they should be, but. Right now, today is what I'm discussing. In a year or two, um, you're definitely hoping that someone like Reddish pops and is better. But it's just one of those things where right now, today, he's one of your top five players and you're adding him to the team at a cost that is a lot for sure, but not like overwhelmingly ridiculous. So there's a question that I've been getting a lot that I'll sort of end with or at least close to be ending with on the podcast today. And that's kind of what happens with the young guys, what happens with the rotation and how many guys is too many, all that stuff. First and foremost, <laughs> this is a good problem. The Hawks had no depth last year. Uh, the Hawks have had depth issues for a while now. And you could say it's a problem if you want to, but it's a good, good, good problem to have, to have too many good players. Um, it will be fascinating, though, to be sure, to see how Lloyd Pierce and the Hawks navigate the decisions on playing time. Again, if Bogdanovich becomes a Hawk, because again, that's not that's not assured. The Kings can match, and they certainly could um, reasonably do so. So keep that in mind this entire time. But... Um, Starting positions are up for debate, I guess. Lineup stuff is up for debate. Fits and all of that stuff. It's a good thing to have depth. The Hawks really do at this point. Um, you know, guys being blocked. Young guys, um, you know, t- stuff about Kevin Herter, stuff about 
DeAndre Hunter or even John Collins. There's all kinds of talk about that. I discussed Collins a lot with regard to Gallinari on the last podcast. Um, but there's just have a ton of talent. And I'm someone who tells you you can't have too many good players, especially on the wing, especially guys who are versatile. So, yeah, there are decisions that have to be made. And, you know, I'll say this right now. The Hawks have 11, If again, if they have Bogdanovich, they'd have 11 guys who would full-on expect to get rotation-level playing time this year. That does not even include Tony Snell, by the way, who I think is a rotation-caliber player, but who might be the easiest guy to move on from. But regardless, they have 11, maybe even 12, like, proven rotation players. The only guy that's not a proven player is Okongwu, but again, Okongwu is a top-six pick in the draft. You have to play that guy at some level. And part of his appeal is that he's going to be pretty decent right away, and he's also your backup center right now. So... All that said, they have a lot of guys. They have 11 guys. That's a lot of players that need to play. Um, I did say, though, for a long time, the Hawks were going to add multiple guys to this roster, and people seem to be surprised by that, but they, they really shouldn't be. Um, you know, They were never they were never going to roll into the season with the three young guys on the wing, and that would be it. That just wasn't going to happen. So we'll talk more about it, but you have Young, you have Rondo and Dunn in the backcourt, like pure, smaller guards. Um, then you have, on the wing, you have Bogdanovich, you have Herter, you have Reddish, and you have Hunter. And then sort of your power forward types, Gallinari and Collins. Then you have your centers and Capella and Okongwu. Then you have Snell as your you know fifth wing or so. Um, Bruno Fernando as your third big, third center, I should say. And then Brandon Goodwin to fill out, fill out beyond that. You also have Skylar Mays, who you drafted. It might be a two-way, could be a full roster guy. And then you have another two-way, Nathan Knight. So your roster's getting full if Bogdanovich comes, to be sure. There'll be a ton of focus on who starts if this happens. I don't care about that as much as everybody else does. Um, I think it does matter in some degree. And like, there isn't a perfect lineup with Gallinari and Collins, for instance. Um, but, you know, we'll figure that out later. I think it's more important that, as to who plays. There's plenty of playing time to go around. And I am not going to dwell on starting lineups that much. It'll be a talking point. I totally understand why. But uh, that's just not my approach, necessarily. Last thing on this front. Um, it's important to note, like, one of the discussions that I've been having for a long time about John Collins' extension talks um, is the fact that one of the reasons not to pay John right now would have been to pre- to sort of preserve 2021 cap space. That is no longer a concern, especially if they had Bogdanovich. If they had Bogdanovich and this deal ends, ends up happening and he ends up in Atlanta, the Hawks no longer have any space for next summer. Any. Now, that's not a problem because you can keep Collins Capital on the books and go above that to sign him. But the opportunity cost of giving extension to Collins is now effectively gone if you have Bogdanovich. Even without Bogdanovich, the Hawks are down to $15 million in space for next summer. So even then, um, it's definitely dwindling, that, that particular talking point for Collins. Now, on the flip side, maybe you won't want to extend him as, as quickly because you have, have invested in Gallinari and all these other guys as well. That's that's different, and that's, a, that's definitely a team construct debate that you could definitely have. But for now, it's almost more likely, in my view, at least it makes a little bit more sense to me, financially anyway, for the Hawks to pay Collins now than it has at any other point. Um, which might seem crazy to you if you think that, you know, that he might be on the, on, the, on the trade block. And that could happen. I'm not telling you that it couldn't. But there's actually no incentive now, financially anyway, to not pay John right now. Because again, with Bodonovich on the team, they're they're sort of tapped out cap space-wise the next two summers. And next summer is the huge cap space year for these teams that want to have space for some stars and Giannis and all that stuff. The Giannis dream it was already dead probably, but it's definitely it's definitely done now. They, they've, they've papered over that and we'll see what happens in the future. So We'll see what they, what, they, what they do across the board. People asking me about consolidation trades. People asking me about Herder and Hunter and Collins and all of this stuff. I said this on the, on the last podcast, but if you missed it, I'll say it again now. 
the Hawks do not have to do anything else before the season starts. Bogdanovich would help them. Um, they have a lot of guys, for sure. They do not have to make a move right now. They're they're okay. It's good to have good players. We'll see what happens. Long term, that's maybe something different, but just keep that in mind. At least that's, that's my viewpoint. And one final reminder, you cannot, right now, as I'm recording this on Sunday afternoon, we do not know if Bogdanovich is going to be on this team or not. The Kings absolutely could match a four-year, $72 million deal. It's a lot of money for Bogdanovich. Frankly, it's probably a slight overpay, but that's one of those things where you have to do that for a restricted guy because if the Hawks didn't overpay him, he wouldn't be coming to Atlanta. Um, Because then the Kings can match it or there'd be a sign-in trade or something else. So this is is kind of the price of doing business on a guy who has a qualifying offer that Bogdanovich had. So I get that it's a lot of money. It probably is a little bit too much, particularly for a guy who's 28 years old, and especially with a player option, etc. Ideally, value-wise, not a great contract, but... The opportunity cost is relatively low for Atlanta. He is a good player, and I see exactly why they did it. So we'll see. Hold hold on to your hats. The Kings have 48 hours, by the way, 48 hours from the time that it was signed on Sunday afternoon to match. So by Tuesday afternoon, we will know if Bogdanovich is going to be a Hawk or not. And if the Kings match it, they cannot trade – sorry, the Hawks cannot trade for Bogdanovich for a year. So keep that in mind as well. Not that they would do that, but um, he's off the board entirely if the Kings match that offer sheet. So – That'll do it for today's podcast. Please subscribe to the show if you missed anything or if I forgot to mention something. Please let me know that and I will address it on the next podcast. I'm not sure when I'll record again. This is probably going to be the Monday show for the most part, so keep that in mind. But uh, if something else breaks, we'll come back. I'll have a new show in the next 48 hours or so at the very, very latest. One more time, subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends, and we'll see you next time.